Hello, hey, and welcome to Ask the Color Expert. My name is Elaine Travis. I am a career hair colorist, independent educator, and author of the book, A Colorful Journey. I'm here every week sharing tips, tricks, and stories that are all things hair color. Thanks for joining me, and let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to the Ask the Color Expert podcast. Today's special guest is Teresa Muley. She is the CEO of the Intentional Classroom and also the Cosmetology Exam Review, an online review to prepare hairstylists to take their state boards. I'm so excited about this. You can't even imagine. Um, she has 15 years experience as a in beauty school management um, and Together, we are going to discuss all of the things that we hope and dream for cosmetology, including a cultural shift that is much needed. So, so excited to welcome you, Teresa. Thank you so much for being here today. So happy to be here. So happy to talk about these things because I think they're so important. <laughs> I agree. And it's people will be able to see that you are traveling you we just talked about how you really don't have a home right now you're traveling so much and I just want to say from me from the bottom of my heart thank you for doing what you're doing because we all collectively as salon owners I'm a salon owner and an educator and we all collectively keep moaning about all the issues that are going on but not many people are taking action um, so thank you for that. Thank you for being on the road and doing all the things to try to, to make um, significant change where it is much needed. Well, I'm so happy. Tell me, I'm tell happy me about to be it. That tell advocate. me what you do. <laughs> <laughs> well, my, my world is crazy. My world is crazy. So um, I've always had a passion for teaching students. And I've always believed, because I am a hairstylist, I always believed that this industry could be more than just beautician status. I thought, you know, this is a profession. This is a professional career. This is not just, oh, I couldn't go to college. So I went to hair school. I just never believed that that's who we were. And that's what people thought we were. And so um, I, that's how I got into the education. And then I would say about four years ago, I decided to leave a corporate job as a VP of academics and said, no more, I'm not impacting enough people. And so I quit <laughs> like a crazy person um, right before the pandemic. I didn't know it was coming. I swear, I didn't know <laughs> that there was about to be a shutdown of the world, but I decided to resign and gave about a year's notice and, and launched the intentional classroom. And it originally started because I wanted to train teachers better. I felt like teachers in the beauty world, even though there's a teacher's license or instructor's license for so many states, a lot of those programs, I don't want to speak badly of them, but a lot of them don't really teach much. They kind of use the teachers as free teacher's aides. <laughs> and so while these teachers pass that exam at the end, they're not really armed with the tools to actually teach students well. And so I decided to start my company that way and started an online platform, started a YouTube channel and just started making videos on like how to be a better teacher. <laughs> and so very quickly when I started working with schools, I started to realize that there was a gap in what was happening between their curriculum and then preparing them to actually pass the state board. And so I started getting a ton of actual requests for tutoring which I didn't really have time to do. I did a few of them and I was like, ah, I just, I can't fit this in. And so then I started creating videos 
for cosmetology graduates or people uh, in school that needed a breakdown on things like color theory. And I love the chemistry of perms, which I get is nerdy, but I love that stuff. And I have a degree in, in science and biology. And so I understand the science behind things and I really wanted to make it easier for students. So started making those videos and it was like that. All of a sudden my YouTube went from 250 to 1000 to 2000 to 3000. I was like, oh, there's a need here <laughs> and I can't help everybody. So about a year ago, I started building cosmetology exam review. And so it really was meant to be that missing piece of how to help students prepare for their written state board as they're getting closer, because I felt like a lot of the schools were kind of losing that part of it. They weren't, they weren't getting them to the end. <laughs> they were getting them close and then just kind of hoping they floated through the rest of it. So, so that's what I do now is I, I go to schools and I train teachers. I go to schools and talk to students. Um, I do virtual sessions. I do in-person sessions and I create content that will hopefully help either side of the house, whether it's through the teachers and giving them tools to teach or the students and giving them the tools that they need to, for that state board. That's how I spend my life now is just doing that and really trying to give everybody the resources they need to, to kind of catapult this industry a little bit further. That's awesome. I mean, so many changes need to happen. It's almost like such an overwhelming task that you don't know where it has to begin. You know, I think most of it starts at that state board level, even more so than the schools. Right. You know, when you, when you research that, because when I became an educator, same thing, I was trying to fill that void of someone comes out of beauty school, they, they're lucky to pass the test, but then they don't really have all the foundation of color theory that they need it, especially me. We had color theory for five days before I graduated. It was the last five days. Yeah. And I was like, okay, this is not enough. Yeah. <laughs> no. um, and, and my, I'm going back a hundred years to the stone age where we had to chisel our name into a rock. I'm, I'm right there with you. <laughs> um, but we, we didn't get a lot of color clients on the floor. Now, my concern is that the school has such a beautiful, we used to call it the clinic floor. I don't know what it's called anymore, but Still is. Yeah. they're pretty much salons now. They're beautiful salons that people that are not a hundred years old toting an oxygen tank, you know, actual real life clients are going to these schools. And my concern, I don't know, this is just my opinion. This is what I'm guessing. My concern is that it's, it's lucrative to have those mini salons in beauty schools. So they're putting more time into having the kids be out on the floor doing the clients and not enough time on the things that they need to pass the test. So thank God for you, because without that to passing that test, then they can't move forward. And the dropout rate is so disturbingly high and it just keeps yes. continuing to rise. Uh, I know a lot of people, you know, it's kind of, they get to that senior year in high school and they're not really feeling college, but they don't really know what they want to do. And the parents are like, oh, cut hair, you know, because they think that anyone can cut hair. And yeah. It's like the biggest misconception of what we do. It's, it's <laughs> such a, you know, you have to be a certain personality type. First of all, you have to be ADD, I think, because most hairdressers are because there's so many agreed. things going well, yeah, on. Yeah, agreed. Yeah multitaskers at their best. So um, there's just so much to it. And we, we both know that there is a better way, but it's like, where do you begin? And it's not just, I don't want to keep picking on cosmetology schools. It's university level too. Like my son oh. was so annoyed with his college experience. He's like, mom, 
I feel like I'm in 13th grade. He's like, this is not challenging at all. And if COVID taught us anything, it should be that it's time to adapt. It's time to change things up and make them more relevant. Like there, there was a program called Uncollege that I was so impressed with. And I'm such a non-traditional mom. I was like, dude, you got to go to this Uncollege. You go to California and you're not in a classroom. You're in these, you know, tech companies learning things on the job right. about what you'll actually need right. to fill what these companies want. And so spending four years with all these different subjects, philosophy and, you know, different math things and everything that you may never need and you struggle with where when you get on the job, it's not relevant in any way. It's just craziness to me. I just don't get why it's not changing. And, and you, you're spot on in that it is everywhere. So I'm a doctoral student at the University of Florida right now. And I have been like a semester away from my doctorate for a year because of all of the red tape and all of the yep. policy and all of the stuff that has nothing to do with learning nothing to do with what we're studying you know and I think that all the time I'm like why are first of all I had to take all of these courses to get to a doctorate level that have nothing to do with my education I just had to take them and I have so much debt and what pays my bills is my cosmetology license not my doctorate you know and so I I'm with you that when COVID happened like in my heart and in my household I said kind of under my breath like this could be good like (laughs) this could this is going to force people to change it's going to force schools especially in trade and technical world to evolve and it did for a while and I remember touting over and over again because I was starting to build my presence like don't let this be a missed opportunity like we have got to change we have to be hybrid we have to offer different modalities here and everyone was like yes 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 and I will tell you I mean I was I've been to four schools in the past two weeks and they're so happy that they get to be back to normal and I'm like no 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 no, 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 sliding right back in (laughs) don't go back to normal like this was our chance to elevate and so you know what's great is is as much as I say okay there's these schools I've also seen the opposite where I've seen schools say it's time this is forcing us to do something different it's forcing us to be better and so it's good to see both sides of it but there's definitely room for more more schools to pivot into the world that this generation needs because it's different when you and I went to school it's totally different <laughs> the world is different so, how have the students done that didn't step foot in a school at all like it was such a long stretch that a lot of them, and, and we hired them in our salon. And I was like, whoa, I did a hands-on class for the one girl. And she was like, I never did that. Like she's done right. and she has her license and she never did a foil highlight. Yeah. And I was like, wow, like how much of a hurdle are they going to have to exactly. overcome with never having that right. clinic floor experience? Right. And I think, especially in some States, you know, I know California, they were shut down for almost a year. I mean, they couldn't do distance learning even. And so it's really sad. That part of it is sad is, you know, I tutored a girl from New, uh, North Carolina, same thing. She spent one month on campus and the rest was virtual. And so I don't think beauty school should be online, but do I think we could cover some of the theory online? Yeah. Like why, why can't we talk about the theory hybrid format, you know? So it's time for us to change our way of thinking. And I've always been that person that pushes people. I want to make people uncomfortable. I want them to question, why are we doing the way we're doing it? There's got to be other ways. <laughs> it's okay to try and fail. You just have to try something. And unfortunately, we don't see that. We get people instead fighting to keep it how it was. And I'm like, well, mm. how it was wasn't working. We were losing people left and right because it's so hard to make it in this industry because we don't, we don't train people appropriately to survive. 
They don't. To your point about the current generation, there's a lot that you and I can learn from them as far as they have built in boundaries <laughs> to the extreme. Um, you know, the, the current staff that we have now is, you know, they, they leave in tears if they work their 31st hour that week. You know, 31 hours is I am so overwhelmed and overworked and I'm like, oh my goodness. So part of that is great, right? Because we worked ourselves to the bone and, and let people right. walk all over us and didn't have lunch and didn't have dinner and didn't drink and didn't pee and didn't do any of the things. Um, but they want everything fast tracked. So what used right. to be a two year associate or apprentice program, which always felt like torture, even for us, like that always right. felt too long. Right. Um, that first it became, you know, a year and a half, then it was a year, then it was nine months. Now this crew coming out wants like six weeks, super price, right. you know? Right. So I keep trying to just keep watching and seeing trends and think, how can we, how can we adapt to what they need without it driving us absolutely insane right. and being too rushed and irresponsible as far as right. putting them behind a chair. Um, something that concerns me, and I talk about it on a lot of these episodes, is people coming out of school and going right into a sweet rental. That that to me is like the worst idea ever. It's a death. <laughs> yeah, and they get so angry. I really try to save people from themselves. I'm like, I love that you you have that entrepreneurial spirit, and I think it's amazing. But I think it's really important. Just go work at a salon, even if it's for three months. You need to understand the emotional intelligence of how to greet a client when she's right. angry and couldn't park or got a ticket when she came out of getting her hair done. Like you don't right. have those life tools coming right out of school. And that to me, it's the 80, 20 year old. It's really only 20% is the actual hair. The right. other 80% is all those soft skills that you right. can't, can't be born with. But I think part of the issue with that is also that salons aren't creating a pathway so many salons are so protective of their clients that I don't, I've never understood this. Everybody, I shouldn't say everybody, 90% of the people that get into our industry eventually want to work for themselves in some way. We either want to independently contract, booth rent, something like that. Most people, that's why we get into this industry. And yet for some reason, so many salon owners put a roadblock up and say, no, 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 you work for me. You're my salon. These are my clients, the salon clients which then just drives them away, you know? So I work with a lot of salons and helping them develop a structured program that offers, okay, start with commission, work your way into a booth runner and then stay with me, pay me rent and I'll still provide you product. Like, but salons aren't thinking that way. They're just mm -hmm. thinking commission. That's what I want. I don't want to deal with anything else. And if, if you have any ambition of opening, they almost take it as a threat. And so the best salon owners and barbershops that I know help their employees eventually open their own shop. They don't look at it as competition. And if they do it right, they even franchise out their own name so that this, that, that graduate or that person can you know, carry on the name. So I think that's partly our fault. We've created this atmosphere in salons that like, if you're commissioned, you work for me and these are our clients. Uh-uh, <laughs> no way. And I remember so how, how guarded the, uh, the formula box and the yes. information. And now we say to our, our girls, you have everything on your phone. If you, right. you know, you have your client's phone number, their email, their, their formula, their everything, everything is on their phone. It's a whole different world. And to your point, 
there's so many salon owners that are still fighting it tooth and now they just will not succumb to no 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 I and they're I losing it. them up and then, I, yeah then they go away and, and now they what? lose them you know? your best chance of keeping them is to build a pathway for them where they can still work for themselves and you at the same time but we're stuck in this old way nope it's commission this is what we do here's your 40 percent or 50 percent like that's not going to work. And I'm right there with you that, you know, they all think the suites is the way, but they don't have any money or any clientele. And I know I booth rented way too early. I think I was a year and a half out and I struggled. I mean, there were some weeks I paid my chair and that's all I made that way. (laughs) You know, I did it too soon because I didn't like where I was and I jumped and I jumped too soon. And so every time I hear a student say that, I'm like, the chances of you like totally flunking out of this business are so high. If you do that, they are go work for somebody and learn the trade for real. Absolutely. What, what are your thoughts on now? They're not even having a practical exam. I was shocked by that. I will tell you, Florida does not. So I grew up in Florida. All of my work was in Florida. I never had to take a practical, practical exam. That's so why Florida I never had one because I'm here now and I knew they didn't have it now, but I thought that was something new. No, nope. Florida. I mean, I don't know about ever. I got licensed in 2000. And so I, back then it was just a written test. The barbers used to have a hands-on test, but they don't. So I have mixed feelings about it. Um, I think it has value. I think it's not necessary as long as the schools are performing it. So that's kind of how we always safeguarded is we wouldn't graduate them until they passed our own hands-on exam. So if they didn't do that, and it was probably way harder than the state because they had to bring a live model, they had to, I mean, formulate, they had to do everything. And so there's another opportunity for schools to better prepare these students. So it, it shouldn't be the state's requirement. It should be the school's requirement to make sure they're not graduating students that aren't prepared to succeed. You know, it all comes down to those schools. It does. I think that's why I get so passionate and protective, if you will, because I'm like, we can do better, you know, so, but that's really what it comes down to is that the state hands-on exam isn't as important as the school doing one to make sure those students are prepared. That makes sense. And it does make sense because from a state court perspective, the written is more about chemicals and safety and all the things that really the test is about anyway, but that, you know, going back to going as a young, scared stylist, you know, the the night before jitters and butterflies, it was all about the technique and, oh my gosh, you know, I have to cut with a razor and I'm not really good with the razor. And, And I was always one that I would go in and cut with the razor and then I'd be like, well, this is so uneven because it was razored. And then I would want to go in the scissors and make it straight. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when I had, we had the, uh, the obligatory state board, the, the squirt bottle with alcohol and the squirt bottle with water. And I was so nervous. I picked up the alcohol and was spraying my friend's hair with the alcohol. And I cut her cuticle when I was trying to get the cute. I'm like, if I fail for the manicuring part, when I know I'm never going to do a manicure, I'm going to be right. so upset, but right. thank God they didn't fail me, but it was, it was such a shit show. And, and to your point, you know, the proctor had probably 15 people under them and they walked right. by and would just kind of make sure that you weren't bleeding out and didn't cut your finger Wait, off. Did it really sure. evaluate your ability to succeed between right. anybody? No, <laughs> you know, so that's kind of how I look at it at kind of a waste. I'm like, you know, I get it. I understand the why, but it's not really executed in a way that's really ensuring anything. Whereas when we do them in house in the schools, we can ensure, you know, the other part about it is they have such a prescribed method of cutting and all of the things for those state exams. 
let's be real. That's not how we live in the salon. Like we're artists, you know? So while we all have a foundation of how we cut and how we perform services, the beauty of our industry is we get to be artistic and adapt it so that it works for us, but that doesn't work for a state board. <laughs> you got to do it the way they want you to do it. And I don't, I don't really believe in that in any way for our industry. We have to have some creative freedom. We're hairstylists, you know? So yeah, I'm like the worst. Like I, I, everyone asked me, I'm like, I'm like the worst messenger. I don't care about the hands-on state board. I don't think instructors licenses are necessary. I'm like, oh, don't get me started about that. Do not get me started. <laughs> I was so passionate about teaching and I'm such a rule. I went to 12 years of Catholic school. So I get myself all caught up in the, like, do I have permission to do this? Am I allowed to teach? Like, you feel like you have to be certified and, you know, be blessed from the Alibaba of hair salons. So I would call the school near me and say, you know, I want to teach. Um, But my passion was teaching people who already went through beauty school and then take them from where that leaves off. So I would get these people on the phone and they would say, you absolutely need a teacher's license, <clears throat> blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, well, what's your program? And I would go visit the school. It was going to be, I think, $10,000 and six months of full time. They didn't offer it part-time. I said, I'm running a salon with a full clientele. Right. I have two children and a mortgage. I cannot just walk away from my building and my business for six months full-time right. I'm not going to have any clientele and I'm not certainly not teaching full time. So that makes zero sense. So I ended up moving to Florida, but that wasn't the reason, but I was so happy when I called Florida. They said, Oh no, you can teach. You don't need a teacher's lady. And I was like, I love Florida. (laughs) It's the wild, wild west. I love it. (laughs) The rebel, the rebel in me that's ready to break free and not be so such a rule follower is really loving Florida. Um, But yeah, I thought, you know, think of how many good, te- like you're a passionate, amazing teacher and I love what I do and I'm super passionate and it might've kept you and I from doing it because we didn't want to go back to beauty school for six months. So, and, and the whole other, don't even get me started with the manager's license. I got a fine at one point because I was at a doctor's appointment and I didn't have a licensed manager in the salon and I had to pay this big fine for it. And then literally, I think three months later, they did away with the manager's license. So I was like, do I get a refund on my fine? Absolutely not. It's, so it's the stuff that they, that they go in on is like the nitpicky stuff that doesn't help anyone succeed. It's, right. it's like bureaucracy crap. It's completely true. It's completely true. You know, sometimes they get pushed back from educators when they ask where I'm licensed. And I'm like, I'm not. I have a doctorate in education. I was just going to say, I think that trumps. But that's not enough. That's not enough for these people. (laughs) I still hear like, oh, but you don't have a cosmetology instructor's license. I'm like, no, but I have a doctorate in education. (laughs) But it just cracks me up because of this mindset. But, you know, I've done a lot of work with Pivot Point and I was talking to one of their lead educators and he was, he's in Alabama. And he had said, I I said something about, well, Florida doesn't have, you know, instructor's licenses. And he's like, be happy because it means you can hire anybody and train them to teach. We can't even find teachers because they're not licensed. And I have a client in Kentucky who he's amazing. He's doing amazing things with his barber school, but he is having a hell of a time finding instructors that are licensed instructors, but they're great teachers. They just don't have that piece of paper yet. And so it's, it's just a hard situation. I know, you know, state by state, they're starting to eliminate it. And I see a lot of teachers kind of get up in arms about it. I'm like, guys, it opens up the door. That doesn't mean we don't need to train. It just means we can train how we want instead of according to what the state wants us to do. So, I mean, you know, I see both sides. I do, but I, I am an advocate of being able to offer my own training for teachers. <laughs> Look. 
So when you, when you went to college for a degree in teaching, you had already been a hairstylist and you knew that you wanted to educate. And because of that roadblock of the credentials that, that gave you the passion to go forward with that, or did you want to be a teacher teacher? No, I never wanted to be a teacher. I saw it when I got my undergrad, I didn't think I'd stay in this industry at all. I, I went for environmental biology and I studied oh, birds okay. and mammals and trees. Wow. <laughs> um, and the minute, the literally the day I finished the school, I was working part-time at a school. I worked for Matrix as an educator and um, I went to visit the school I was, I went to, I graduated from and they asked if I wanted to teach part-time and I was like, not really. <laughs> I don't want to be involved in education. And so I said, no, um, because I was working for matrix in the salon. And then they convinced me to work like one or two nights a week. And I, I liked it. And so once I finished my bachelor's, they, the school immediately promoted me into a director's position. And I was doing things like career services and stuff. And I was like, okay. So then I got my master's in nonprofit management because I was working in a nonprofit school. And I was like, well, this makes sense. So I need to learn policy and you know, legislation, all this stuff. So I'll do that now. So I did that. And then I always thought I'd get a doctorate. I wasn't sure in what. And then as my career progressed and I moved into like a director of education role, a campus president role, all of that stuff, I realized like, okay, education is where I'm going to live. This is what's going to happen. And so when I started looking at doctorate programs, kind of like what you said about even with going to school to be an instructor, I needed to find a program that would let me do the bulk of it online that still had credibility though, because it was really important to me that if I'm gonna spend all this money, it's from a name that people know and it's gonna help my career. So I chose the University of Florida and they had a really good higher education and leadership program. So that's what I'm in right now. So I'm now a candidate. Um, and so I've done all of my coursework and I'm just to have to defend my dissertation. So. You know, it's it's kind of a weird journey. I always was involved in teaching, but never thought I wanted to be a teacher. Never thought I'd go teach in the public school. Never even thought I'd run schools. And now my entire life is running schools and <laughs> working with teachers. But you know, when you find it, you find it. That's and right. I somehow managed to integrate my world of beauty into it, which is my passion. Like it really, I believe in the trades and especially beauty education so much. So I've just found my own way to make it all work together. That's amazing. Such a, such a great story. I love how that all, all worked out, whether you planned it or not. It, it is crazy it. how whatever you're called to do shows up for you. Right. And whether you I like just paid attention to the universe enough that it kept saying, this is where you're going now. This is where you're going now. I'm like, I guess it's where I'm going. This is what I'm doing. <laughs> exactly. I just started meditating at 5am, which if you would have told me I would have done that a year ago, I would say you're insane. Yeah. Um, the only time I'm up at 5 a.m. is when I have a fabulous flight to catch somewhere that's crazy early. Right. Um, but I've been doing it every day and I'm finding that I don't know how it leads to this, but I have such push energy. When I when I far, first started teaching, my passion was to get to do what you're doing, to get to as many beauty schools as possible and give a free class and just meet those students yeah. and just like you know, talk to them about, don't give up when you get out. It's going to seem really overwhelming, but please don't give up. It's the greatest industry ever. And I would sit in between clients. I would sit in my office at the salon calling beauty schools and they either didn't call me back or they called me back and weren't interested. Like I'm knocking down these doors and I'm like, right. let me get this straight. I want to come to your, your place and I want to teach for free. And I have 30 some years experience. I don't get what's going on. I just couldn't figure out what was going on. And then I was like, okay, well, that's not working. So I'm going to write a book. And that's the thing behind me, the colorful journey. So I wrote the book, 
And then I wanted to teach on stage. And to your point about working for a manufacturer, they're like, oh yeah, come, we love hiring educators, come work for us. And it was like $75 a day to drive my car with like 14,000 boxes and a flip chart. And I was like, yep. no, I can do that in the salon in an hour. Are you kidding yeah. me? Yeah. But I have that push, push, push energy where I'm just like trying to jam it down people's throat. And, you know, it's taken me 55 years to realize that's not a great way to be. Um, so the meditation is because when I'm not pushing, things aren't moving fast enough for me. I'm, I'm sitting back going, all right, I'm not pushing and now nothing else is happening. So now I got to right. push again, but I never gave it enough time for the universe to lay the path down. They had some Gretel right. crumbs, you know? So with this meditation, I find myself just being, and I am meeting I met you. I don't know how the heck I found you. I met you. I met this other girl that I was at her salon yesterday doing a model. Like all the happenstances are just like showing up for me. And I'm like, this is what they were talking about with letting, you know, your passion lead you to Uh where you're meant to be. I was like, took me damn long enough, you know? And it's such an enjoyable pro. I don't have the burning shoulders. I don't have the, you know, stand the massage appointment every single week for the burning shoulders lines right here from yeah life. yeah <laughs> but I'm like god I, I want to scream it from the rooftops and I want to help other hairdressers get there sooner than me but I don't know what your experience has been with trying to chime in on a forum when someone asks a question and you know what is a good answer it's not always well received so I've, I found myself not really getting too involved unless it's someone in my own group, because I right. know they know, like, and trust me. Right. Um, but it's just an interesting dynamic. I, I can imagine you have a different experience, every building that you go into and, and every situation. I'm never bored. Vibe. Yeah. I'm never bored. But, you know, my journey was really similar to yours as, you know, I was working in a corporate, I shouldn't say corporate school because we only had three schools, but I was driving from Fort Myers to Clearwater to Jacksonville every week. I was wow. making this circle visiting schools of mine and it was exhausting. And I'd been doing it for 15 years and I was moving into this VP role. And then I met who is now my husband and he's an artist in Key West. And so his world is no, just create, trust the universe. And I'm not, I'm like, I plan everything. And like you said, like I was, I was always pushing for the next goal. I couldn't just let things happen. I had to force things to happen. And, and he gave me the confidence to just take the leap and just kept saying, we'll make it happen. You just need to, you need to take this leap. And so I did. And it's still hard for me a lot of times. It's still, there's a lot of times where I'm like, what can I do next? Um, but I'm just like you, where I finally just gave up control and it's been astonishing. Like just in the past year, the opportunities that have come up because I just stopped trying to force everything and listening and taking the opportunities as I came. And so it's just completely changed my perspective on everything. And now, I, I mean, you can, people will mention on my social media, like, I can't believe how different you look, how happy you look. Well, amazingly, I lost 140 pounds when happiness came and when oh I wasn't working gosh. 80 hours a week. And, you know, people are like, what did you do? I'm like, I started living. I, I stopped working 80 hours a week and I started living wow. to live. And that meant I got to cook like I wanted to. And I got to go hiking like I wanted to. And, you know, I've learned like I work like 35 hours a week now and the rest of it, I'm going to just spend it and live my life. Like, I don't want to wait for retirement to enjoy things. And so it's amazing how, when you just stop and let the universe take care of you, it just happens and everything changes. And people, every time they see me, they're like, 
what changed? Because you look like a different human. You're so happy. I'm like, because I'm living for me now. I'm not living for schools. I mean, I, I work for schools, but I, I'm living for what works for me now, not for everybody else. <laughs> That's amazing. You said the word control. And I, I always call myself a recovering control freak because mm-hmm. it's such a fallback. You just get into that mode, just kicks right in right away. Right. Um, my husband and I always say that we're the shooters. We should all over everyone, you know, because we're older than most of the people that we're talking to. We're like, oh no, you should do this or you should buy this house yeah. or you should do, you know, and That's people me. don't want to hear it. So now yeah. my, my daughter's like, mom, I am so proud of you. Did you just ask for permission? And I'm like, yes, I did. So now <laughs> I say, would you like some feedback? You know, I'll say to somebody, would right. you like feedback? Would you like my opinion? Because I'm not going to shove it down your throat if it's not right. welcome. They're like, oh, no, no, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I'm so, so Because similar. I used to get frustrated because people don't listen anyway. Don't listen to me. I know what's going to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I had a mentor say to me so many times, you know, Teresa, you don't always have to say something. I'm like, but I do. <laughs> don't you know what things to say? But it's definitely something that I think every day, I mean, I haven't worked for him for three years and it's still in my ear every time. Like, Teresa, you don't always have to give your opinion. You don't always have to tell people how to do it. You have to let people come to their own conclusions. It's still hard for me every day of my life, but I'm working on it, right? I'm working on it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I have friends that say, you're so much quieter, like, because I was always the funny entertainer, the clown, the you know, all that. And you don't realize that that is a behavior that you don't, you don't understand that you're really overcompensating for things that aren't right. You know, it's not cool to be the funny one. So um, I've gotten quieter because I don't want to should all over someone. And if if they're not asking for my opinion, I'm, I'm a better listener, but there's a lot of awkward silence. My husband and I both are guilty of being the silence fillers when we're in a crowd. If it gets dead air and there's nothing going on, we feel like we have to tell a story or get it going, you know? And I'm like, whoever said that it it had to be filled, you know, why did we take on that role? So it's just interesting, the behaviors, and especially because we work on the public. You know, now, now I'm a life coach, so I can look at the staff and see their behaviors and realize that they don't realize they're doing it, you know, right. and they're like chatty, chatty, chatty about, you know, all their personal stuff instead of keeping it to hair and about the client and making it yeah. all about them. And I'm like, oh, that was me for a very long time, you know, sure. but, but if you don't do the work and you don't stop and pause and, and look into those things, it's, it's just a, a habit and a behavior that you take right. to the grave with you. So it's, it's really interesting once you uh, start to look, look within and, and kind of let life just happen. It's yeah. pretty amazing. And I think it's so true. You know, I, I published a book last month called Becoming a Badass Educator. In, your, so, in your spare time? I need to read that. Time. I don't need a badass educator. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I wrote it over the past year and, um, but it really, that's exactly kind of what it's about is that, and it's about us taking time to reflect and you and I are perfect examples of you can change. Like it drives me crazy when people are like, well, that's just who I am. No, no, no. If I said that every time someone pushed back on me, like my staff would come into my office when I was still in the school and be like, so you're being a bitch. And I'm like, I know, I'm sorry. Like I can hear it. I need to hear it. I know I can be this way, you know? And so 
but that only comes with the self-awareness, right? That we have to recognize. And that's kind of what the book is about is doing all this self-reflection as teachers or trainers or managers or what it's, I, I used educator because I'm an educator, but it applies to anybody that it, it's a journey of self-reflection and looking at like, okay, how am I talking to people? How am I responding to people? What does my face look like? What are my actions telling my students right now? Because because the training for teachers is so poor, they don't even know where to begin. Like that emotional mm. intelligence, you know, factor that you mentioned, that's not ever talked about, <laughs> you know? So it's just, we have to give them the tools. We have to stop being frustrated and start providing solutions. And, you know, slowly but surely, you know, I always kind of talk about it's turning a semi. It's not going to happen quickly, but we all have to take our time and start inching the semi around because, it's the only way it's going to happen, but it starts with that self-reflection. Everybody has to recognize the need. Absolutely. And, and not to mention tuition, my gosh, I think the last number that I heard was something like $20,000. Yeah. $20,000. I will tell you though, um, cause I know it sounds crazy. So, um, in some of my research that I've done for my, my dissertation is cosmetology is the only occupational program in the entire country that they say is worth going to the privatized school for because the education is so much better than the public school system is. Um, it's the only program is cosmetology, which I, I, I struck me as funny as I'm doing this research of all these trade programs and my programs, the one that they was called out. Um, but you know, I'll say it used to cost my school $311,000 a month to keep the doors open. So that's, wow. that's just to break even. And so, you know, wow. I'm right. And I don't think people recognize, and that was before, before COVID now a box of oils is what? $27 oh for a $10 box of oils, right? Yeah. So I can't even imagine what it is now. So when and what, we were a nonprofit school, so our bottom line, maybe we had $40,000 in surplus a year. We had 350 students at one time. That's all we were making. We weren't making, and it was going right back into the institution. So I know people get kind of caught up in that number. I'm like, okay, it's the price of a car, except for it lasts forever. And a car does not, you know? And so the value is also increasing, hopefully hopefully the value is increasing with it, but it costs a hell of a lot of money. And I think I hear a lot of, you know, teachers and styles, I'm just going to open a school. I'm like, it's not as easy as you think it is. I, I actually looked into <laughs> and, it at the beginning of this whole thing with trying to, you know, break into the education. I was like, well, maybe I just need to start a whole different type of beauty school and just, just set the precedent and do it differently and stop yapping about how bad it is. And I looked into it and I think the initial capital to get started, because as you know, it's a certain amount of square feet, you know, has to be at a certain location, so many parking spots, all that stuff. So I'm talking probably 20 years ago, this was, and the investment was over $500,000 just to get started. Not, yeah, I just, not I just alone, like a safety account and all the other mm -hmm. things. Yeah. I just helped a friend open it and she was open a school in Bonita Springs area and you know, it, her school is incredible. It's beautiful. It's aesthetics right now. That's what she's starting with. But she did have to get investors because she was going to open a little tiny school and she probably could have pulled that out, but no growth opportunity. Then she was going to be stuck. And instead she had to pull in investors to do it. And so, you know, and, and then people think, well, I'll just get it accredited. Well, it takes at least two years to start that process. You can't even start right. until you show two years of data. And so I'm an auditor for an accrediting body. Like, you can't just go get accredited, but I think people just don't know. And they just think, oh, well, I'm going to start my own school. Well, that's not real. <laughs> it's just not as easy as it sounds, you know? So 
I think there's a lot of education is missing, even in what it takes to actually open these establishments, do these things. Nobody knows. They just, it's like a learning experience for everybody. Absolutely. I've had, if I had a dollar for every person who said to me, when are you going to come out with your own color line? I'm like, are you kidding me? At 55 years old, you think I want to take on that project? I've seen what it does. I have friends that have started their own product lines and it has destroyed them. financially, emotionally, physically, like completely taking them to their knees. I'm like, no, thank you. I will use the care call that already exists. Right. Unless you can highlight something that the market is missing. There's the shelf. If I've watched enough Shark Tank in my life, is that like getting shelf space and competing against these things, these major brands is almost impossible. So, you know, like you said, so much money investment. The only one I've seen do it successfully is Lauren Weirman from Wildflowers. She's killing it. She's the nicest human ever. She's another one you should probably interview. She's incredible. Um, but she somehow made it happen all through education. She didn't go out there trying to start a product brand, but she needed leverage for something. That's what she did. But I've not seen anyone else succeed. <laughs> doing and it's hair color, wildflowers? Um, no, hers is all nails. It's all nail stuff, but still. Oh, I saw them at the uh, Orlando show. And I was wondering amazing. where that came from. She's a cosmetologist. She used to teach for me, actually. She okay. was about cosmetology and nails for me and then did this. And she's killing it. But she's somebody that really understands how to take that small idea and just turn it into a monster. And she's killing it. But, you know, I mean, I haven't seen anybody else successfully really re, like relaunch a new product line. It's too difficult to do. And is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is there a need? If there's no need, then what do you do with? You know, I mean, you're just, like you said, investing time and money for what? <laughs> Well, when we were talking about the beauty school, I said, if I had 500 grand sitting around, I wouldn't want to open a beauty school. <laughs> I would want to live on the beach somewhere and take it easy. Yeah. <laughs> when I was leaving my school, as my boss kept saying, you sure you don't want to buy the Fort Myers campus? And I'm like, I'm sure I don't want to buy the Fort Myers <laughs> campus. Like maybe I, you know, maybe in the future in New Hampshire, there is no school in the Northern part of New Hampshire, but even that I don't know. It's, you know, I love what I do. I can't imagine limiting myself to just my local area. I just can't. I, you know, I look at it as if I were in a school, I would only influence the people in my circle. Right now I can influence everybody throughout the world. And that's way more important to me. So, well, right before you said that, I was thinking the ultimate right now, because we've seen through COVID how much can get done virtually, the ultimate I think would be do all the theory virtually they have, they still have deadlines and everything to watch so many videos by a certain amount right. of time. So all the theory that way, and then right. have the in-person part be right. tightened up and really focused on instead of trying to do theory and tests and practical right. and all the, all the things at the same time, I think that would be a really good. Well, and that's something we've talked about with BeautyCast is trying to develop a online consortium agreement, basically where I could build curriculum for all the online, where any school from around the country could use our services and their students sign and we manage all of the online curriculum and, and delivery of said curriculum. And then the schools only have to manage the live practical version of things. And so it's in the works. Everything takes way longer than I ever plan it to do, <laughs> but it's definitely the thoughts are out there because, you know, I think that's the way of the future. I think that's what we should be doing. Nobody's telling me that it's just my gut saying, this is how we have to tackle this. Um, and no one's doing it. So, you know, maybe this is what you and I are going to do now is we're going to develop this that's online awesome. curriculum <laughs> and do this because it's, that's what I get so excited about. I'm like, there's opportunity here to make it better for everybody. Like, what can I do to make it better? You know? Absolutely. 
So tell me more about the book and people listening, where can they, I know I'm ordering one as soon as we hang up. So where can they, where can they find your book? So you can find my book on my website, which is just teresamuley.com. Um, and Spell it though, because it's a little different. Spelling. I know, right? It's T-H-E-R-E-S-A-M-I-U-L-L-I.com. So teresamuley.com. Um, and that's the only thing for sale on that website is my book. So the book is a combination of a workbook and a kind of guide to educator greatness. And so I areas that we really need to reflect on. And so I talk about things like communication. I talk about what is your why? Do you even know why you want to teach? Because if you don't know why, you're not going to last. It's too hard. So <laughs> you don't know why you're doing it. It's way too hard to do. Um, we talk about organization. I talk about you know how we talk to people, how we interact with others, how we treat students. You know, um, you know, it, there's, there's just a lot to it. How we treat our team. And then at the end of every single chapter, there's a workbook. So there's actual like worksheets that bring you through the reflection exercises for the places to write it down so that you can actually kind of work through it. So yeah, so it's on my website right now. It's 19.99 plus about five bucks in shipping. Um, so I'm sending it everywhere I possibly can. Uh, I just released it about a month, but we've sold out of our first print. So I'm pretty excited. That's awesome. and Congratulations. Yes. So the second print will be coming soon, but it's just, I wrote it as kind of a communication starter, honestly, that I could get it to school directors and say, let's have a conversation about what we can do because you have to recognize the need before you're going to address it. And I think a lot of them don't, they know that things aren't going well, but they don't know why. So I was hoping if I started getting my message out and, you know, a book is a way to do it, that I could kind of get people thinking, okay, like there's this list of things she's provided that I should be looking at. And so that's what the book is about is, like I said, it's an approach to educator greatness with worksheets and this workbook that moves along with it. And I really try to lay out as many hard truths as I can about what teaching really looks like, what it should look like if you're doing it right. <laughs> because sure, that. teaching can be easy if you're not doing a great job at it, <laughs> you know? but if you care and you're putting the work in, teaching is a hell of a lot of work, but worth it, worth every minute of it. Absolutely. What I found interesting that I hadn't thought of going into it is we tend to teach the way that we learn. And when I first started out, I, I read a book about the four different styles of teaching. And I was mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, I didn't even realize that people are so different. You know, right. I, I've always have a handful of students in my program that are very visual learners. And they're always wanting me to draw those head sheets. I'm like, oh, mm -hmm. I hate those things. I'm, I'm more of a talk you through explainer or show you on yeah. a doll head, but like to draw on one of those things is just so not in my wheelhouse. So I do my best. I actually ordered a brand new iPad, the kind that you can write on so that I could do right. it on the iPad for them on the screen, which is right. kind of cool, but, but it pains me to do that. But I'm like, that's the way that they learn. So if I'm going to teach them, I have to adapt to what they right. are looking for. It's such a huge point because I've had teachers say to me before, well, I didn't get that when I was in school or that's not how I learned. And I keep thinking, okay, I'm 40. And so a lot of the people I work with are around my age. And I'm like, I get it. I also got lectured. I hate the word lecture. I think that's such a terrible word. We don't lecture. We have a conversation with people. That's, that's teaching. And so I hear it all the time. Well, I didn't get that. I don't understand why I have to do that for them. I'm like, because mm -hmm. they're who matters, not what we got. You know, why do you want less? For, why do you want the same when we know we can do better? Like, I don't exactly. understand, but I hear it all the time. It's like, well, that's not how I learn. I'm like, it's not about you. <laughs> it's never like, I have a whole chapter in my book about crushing your ego. Like, get rid of your ego. It's never about us as teachers. We have to adapt to the student. If we don't do that, we're not reaching them. We're not winning if we don't adapt to what they need from us. 
I don't care. I don't care what you think. <laughs> like my dad is like, he's that grumpy old like boomer. I mean, that is my dad, right? And he's like, these kids just need to do this. I'm like, no, we, they're the future. We need to yeah. adapt to them. We need to adapt to they them. don't need to 100%. adapt to us. They're creating yeah. a better world right now because this world's crazy. So, I mean, we, we have to adapt to them. That's how we're going to win. Absolutely. I love that. I cannot wait to read this book. How fast can you get it shipped out? <laughs> Um, I need well, to check get back myself. Texas on Thursday. So Friday, I can ship it out to you. <laughs> I'm in Texas right now. So <laughs> that sounds good. Well, you are absolutely amazing. I'm exhausted just hearing all the things that you're doing, but keep doing them. Keep fighting the fight. However, I can help you in the crusade. I'm hundred percent down with helping because it really is something I'm super passionate about. And, you know, I want to I want to leave a legacy behind when I retire from this madness. I'm, I'm my 35th year and I'm still going strong. Yeah. And I want to have made a difference when all is said and done and right. um, helped to change things for the better. So, right, right. Same definitely here. reach out. Well, thank you for your time and thank you everyone for mm-hmm. listening. Reach out to Teresa, check out her book and check out if you're a cosmetology student, check out her state board practiced exam. This sounds amazing. And uh, we will see you all on the next one. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Ask the Color Expert podcast. Please subscribe and be sure to leave a review. For more information on hair color education, please visit my website, www.expertcolorsolutions.com. See you soon.